We're opening up tonight from Hebrews 8 and 5. This has been our uh, stable scripture for each one of these lessons. And it's speaking of the priesthood, which says we'll serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. I'm thankful that God has a pattern for us. I, I would hate to, I know, how many of you ladies, maybe men have, I'm sure Brother Pickering has, have, has worked with uh, patterns and you probably had some patterns when you were building this and you've worked with patterns, whether it was sheet metal or you were making dresses, ladies, or whatever it might have been. And maybe you used the super glue on some of this and that and the other. And uh, you knew the importance of getting things right and making it cut to the right specifics. If something wasn't fitting, it could mess everything up. But God had a pattern for us that was to let us know what was coming in the new covenant. This Old Testament was a shadow and type and pattern and example of all that we participate in today. Now, we've been taking a journey through this tabernacle from the gate out here of the outer court, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We went through that brazen altar of sacrifice. All of this is about worship. Everybody say worship. It is our tabernacle worship model. So we went from that, which that's part of worship. The difference in worship and praise. Praise, all you have to do to be qualified to praise is have breath. Let everything that hath breath. Praise the Lord. So anybody and everybody that's breathing can praise the Lord. I think there is a scripture said the dead doesn't don't, don't praise him. <laughs> Maybe that's talking about more than physical death. Huh? But if we're breathing, then we've got a right to praise the Lord. But worship, there are qualifications for worship. Worship involves more than just raising your hands or, or singing out loud or clapping your hands or, or leaping for joy. Worship envelops praise. Praise is a part of worship. Worship is not necessarily a part of praise. If you can understand the difference there. So when we worship God, the Bible tells us in John 4, verse 23 and verse 24, but the hour cometh, and everybody say now is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now I don't know of too many things the Bible says that God is looking for, searching for, and seeking for because he's God. But one thing I know he's seeking Somebody that'll be a true worshiper that will worship him in spirit and in truth. So they that worship him, 
Everybody say must. Must Must worship him in spirit and in truth. If I can relate this to you this evening, everything about the tabernacle and everything about the sanctuary, which is where we're going to enter into that part, that holy place that is within the court of the tabernacle, Everything relates to worship of God. Everything. The sacrificial offering of the flesh at the altar, which we talked about repentance, the the washing of the labor we talked about last Wednesday night, representing cleansing, remission of sin. All of that is part of worship unto God. We find wherever they built an altar, the Bible said that it was to worship God. And then eventually, of course, as we go into the sanctuary, we're going to be talking about there were basically three separate items that were in there. Now, more, more than that, but, but three basic items. Some of them had several items involved with it. But those three things as we go into the sanctuary was the on the right side, which would have been the north side as you're entering into the sanctuary, was the table of showbread. On the left side or the south side was the candlesticks, the golden candlesticks. And right in the center in front of the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was the altar of incense. Now, I at first thought I was going to try to get into all three of these tonight and get the sanctuary done. But we would have been here for a long time because after one part of this, I realized there's no way I'm going to get all three parts of them. But I really think I can get the last two by next Wednesday night and we'll try to summarize everything up next Wednesday night. But I I do want to talk something about this spirit and truth. The two ingredients that are part of this worship and an important and integral part of worship unto God. God is a spirit. However, that spirit became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, with that in mind, remember something. These are the two ingredients of worship, spirit and truth. The Bible said God is a spirit. Also, we read in John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word. I'm not going to read all of it, but it says the word was God. Skipping down to verse 14, it said, and the word, which was God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. Truth. So we have the Spirit, God, being manifest in the flesh as the Word of God. The Word was manifest in flesh. And that word, when we beheld him, we saw the glory and the spirit of truth. 
So understanding that, the ingredients that God says we must use for worship, spirit and truth, is in the dual nature of Jesus Christ. In spirit, he is God. In, in the word or in the truth, he is flesh. The spirit was made flesh and dwelt among us. Is the truth his word? Yes, it is. Notice the word was made flesh and when we saw him, we beheld his glory and we saw grace and truth. John 17 and 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. And then he plainly tells us thy word is truth. So when we see the manifestation of God, the spirit of God, manifested in the flesh, we see the word of God and we see that word because it is truth. So in Jesus Christ, we have the dual nature that makes up the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. The, the first and the last, the first letter in the Greek alphabet, the last letter in the Greek alphabet, because he makes up the whole word which was written and he is first and last almighty God. But he, had, he does have a dual nature. As God, he walked on the water when the Bible said God alone treadeth on the waters. But as God, he walked on the water. As man, he walked on the shore. As God, he said, if you'll ask of me, I'll give you water to drink whereby you will never thirst. But as man on the cross, he cried, I thirst. So as God, he will quench thirst. As man, he was thirsty. As God, he answers prayer. As flesh, he prays. Woo, hallelujah. Understanding that dual nature of God will help us in understanding how we worship God in spirit and in truth. Some people want nothing but the spirit. Now, but don't, don't, no, no, wait a minute. Don't give me none of that truth stuff. I, I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> then there's some, all they want is truth. Give me truth, truth, truth. But you couldn't move them with a hot red poker. <laughs> well, you might could. I don't know. We might all try that sometime, Pastor. Amen. But, <laughs> but we are sanctified with truth. And we are sanctified by the Spirit. The Bible speaks both things. The sanctification comes through the Spirit of God. We're sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And we're also sanctified by the Word or by the truth, which is the Word of God. So does that mean we've got two different people there? No. There's only one God. And there's only one true worship, hallelujah. And it's made up of spirit and truth and we need both of them together. It's like faith without works is dead. And works without faith is dead. But when you get faith and works working together, hallelujah, there's a dual thing working together. It's, it's like pulling an oar. You got an oar in this hand labeled faith and one in this hand labeled works. You pull them together, that boat will go straight where you want it to go. But if you work on just one of them, you just go and go around in a circle. And if you work on the other one, you'll go around the circle the other direction. 
I want to be a true worshiper because God's looking for it. So you say, but Brother Carson, what does that have to do with the sanctuary, with uh, the, the furniture that's in there? Well, just, let's just be patient just for a little bit longer. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, Moses, the Bible said, God spoke to Moses face to face. But that term in the Hebrew there meant he spoke to him audibly from mouth to ear. But he never saw the face of God. The Bible said no man hath seen God at any time. But Jesus Christ is the express. That means simply the only, the only image of the invisible God. Everybody say invisible. So how do we see God? When, when Moses asked to, God said he put him over in the cleft of the rock and he covered him and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you see my hinder parts. And, and that's as close as he got to seeing the glory of God, the glory of God. And from that, when he came off the mountain, they had to put a veil over his face because his face glowed so brightly just from seeing the hinder part of the glory of God. How much more when we worship God face to face and we see the face of God. The only way we can see the face of God is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. Now we're going to get into a little more of that. Where I, I, I love the word where when Philip said, Lord, show us. <laughs> show us the Father and it'll suffice us. We'll be happy. We'll be satisfied. And Jesus looks at him like, have I been so long time with you and you don't know me, Philip? <laughs> when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because he is the express image of the invisible God. So when God became flesh, the Bible puts it like this. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Great is the mystery of godliness or of the Godhead that God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, ministered to by angels, received up into glory. Who did all of that? Jesus did. So when we try to pull apart that unity of God and man, that dual nature of Jesus Christ, and make two persons or two deities or two parts of a deity. I'm telling you, we get totally out of whack of our worship in spirit and in truth. Matter of fact, Jesus is basically saying you can't have one without the other, really. Not, not, not and be saved. There's people that get the spirit, but they don't want the truth. God gives it to them on credit or whatever, I guess. I don't know. But if we're going to be saved, if we're going to worship God scripturally, we must have not only the spirit, but the truth. And not only the truth, but the spirit. So I want you to watch this now. 
God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. That's revelation. That's, that's a definition of revelation. Some people are scared of the word revelation. Some people won't even read the book of revelations because they're afraid. Uh, whew, I don't know if I can understand all that. Well, you, let me just tell you right now, you won't. <laughs> I've been in this a long time, Brother Robinson, over 56 years of preaching the gospel now, and I, I still don't understand it all. But I have found something called the peace of God that passeth all understanding. And that's what keeps my mind and keeps my heart when I can't understand it. And I kind of figure it like this. Uh, if God wants me to understand it, he'll give me an understanding of it. And if he doesn't, I don't need an understanding of it. I don't quite understand. brother. I'm sure Brother Norris would do, could do a wonderful job explaining it to me. That doesn't mean I'd still understand it. But I couldn't quite understand how all this electrical stuff works. And I can go over and flip a little switch on the wall and the lights will go off and flip it the other way and the lights come on. And he could tell you everything all about that and how it operates and what causes that. And, and he's, he's the original Ben Franklin. <laughs> when it comes to electricity. But I'll tell you something. It doesn't keep me from using it just because I don't understand it. And I may not understand everything about the word of God. Matter of fact, I won't. I won't. We see through a glass darkly, but there's coming a time when we're going to see everything clearly. Hallelujah. And we can understand it better by and by, as the song said, if we even want to. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm still going to worship God. I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to love the truth. I'm still going to worship him. I don't understand everything about God. And we get frustrated when we try to. But I want you to notice, we're getting ready to take a journey here now. And, and God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And that's what revelation is. Revelation never creates anything. That's why some people are afraid of, oh, I got a revelation. Tell me something we ain't never heard before. No, 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 no. Revelation is not anything creative. Revelation only turns the light switch on and what was already there and you couldn't see because of darkness. Now you can see because I saw the light. I saw the light. No more in darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord. Yeah, y'all know that song. We got to sing something like it every once in a while so everybody will remember them. <laughs> Thus is revealed to us the dual nature of Jesus Christ. He was both God and man, father and son, spirit, flesh, or word and truth. Therefore, all of our worship must be in spirit and truth because it's all about Jesus. All about him. Now, no longer in the bright glare of the sun out here in the outer court. You can see there, the sun could beam right down on top of everybody here. Now we move into the holy place or the sanctuary of the tabernacle. Whew. Just talking about that gets me excited. 
That's what David meant when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I could talk about the 10 generations that had to go by before David could say, I can go into the house of the Lord, but I won't do that tonight. But he was that 10th generation and finally said, okay, now you can go into the house of the Lord because of illegitimate birth 10 generations ago. That was just Old Testament law. How many is glad we're living under the New Testament law? But now we're entering into that sanctuary that just the word gets me almost goosebumps. Sanctuary. A sanctuary. I don't know how your day's been today, but I'm telling you something. I'm glad to walk into a sanctuary. (laughs) This is the sanctuary. A holy place. And you know what? The only way to get into the sanctuary, you had to go by the altar and by the labor. There had to be some, some dying out to flesh and some washing away and cleansing and sanctification taking place. But then the priest, and remember this is our first chapter, our first scripture, Hebrews 8 and 5 talks about these are examples and shadows of the priesthood. We talked last week about how we are the priesthood. We are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, holy nation, called of God. Amen. We are kings and priests with Jesus Christ because of him. But no longer are we outsiders, but we leave that outer court and we go into that sanctuary, the golden sanctuary. Because all this stuff out here, as Brother uh, Pickering did such a good job, is all brass. But when you go into this place and you walk into this gate, you're in a room of gold. There's a covering over it all, but they put boards up covered in gold. They put all the furniture, most of it was made of wood and covered or overlaid with gold except one piece of the furniture and that was the golden candlestick and it was solid gold. It's also one of those things that we don't have dimensions on, how big it was. All we know is it weighed so many talents of gold, and if you want to figure it up, I think it's somewhere around 75 pounds of gold. And I think gold is selling for, what, $2,400 an ounce or something like that? I'm not sure. I don't keep up with it because I don't have any of it. I'm like Peter, silver and gold have I none. (laughs) But such as I have, I'm going to give to you tonight. That's a a lot of money, though, I guarantee you that. And that's where they got, as we mentioned last week, from all the earrings and the finger rings and the toe rings and the nose rings and all the other rings that they had, they brought together that gold God didn't want them to make a golden calf. He wanted them to use it for the, this beautiful sanctuary. So we enter into this golden glowing place of fellowship with God. No wonder he said we should enter in with praise and with thanksgiving. The golden lampstand, 
I call it that rather than a golden candlestick because it wasn't a candlestick. It was a lampstand. It was full of oil and the oil used a wick and it burned that wick and that's how they had light because remember something, we got the convertible top off here so people can look inside. Brother Pickering made it possible, but this all was covered. There were no windows. There were no openings where anybody could see inside. It was pitch dark. But God had ordained Moses to build this golden lampstand and it was the only source of light in the sanctuary. It cast a glow from its seven lamps over the golden altar of incense. We'll talk about that next Wednesday night, God willing. And the table of showbread. Tonight we're gonna feature the table of showbread, okay? It is here in this holy place that the priest communed with God in the lighting of the lamps, the presentation of the showbread, and the burning of the incense before the holy of holies. Exodus 25 and verse 23 says, Thou shalt also make a table of sheetum wood. Another word for that is acacia. It shall be two cubits or approximately three feet in length. A cubit, approximately 18 inches in length or width. And a cubit and a half, approximately 27 inches high off the ground. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an hand breadth round about. And thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. How many of be honest with me? In your reading of the Bible, when you get into all of these uh, details, have kind of just scratched your head and said, boy, I wish, you know, I could get on through all of this. And what's the purpose of all of this? And God does nothing by coincidence. Every measurement, every piece of this furniture had a purpose as a shadow and of a type. First of all, the table, he's telling us it was made of sheetum wood or of acacia wood. And I want you to know that this table of showbread, as with all the other Furniture in the tabernacle, first and foremost, points to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because remember, he is the center of what? Our worship. Why? Because we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what he is, spirit and truth. He's God in man. So, by God's direction, the table of acacia wood I looked that up because I wanted to know what kind of wood it actually was. And I'll be honest with you, I thought it was oak. But when I searched it and researched it, it was a type of a locust tree. It is a thorny tree in the locust family known for its strength and durability. Anybody ever heard of a locust post? Yeah, yeah. It's a Everybody that's over 50. <laughs> the rest of you don't know what a locust post is. 
when you found posts to make a fence post back before they had all this metal and plastic and all this other stuff, you look for locust tree because locust was a, a wood that was durable. It lasted. It was insect resistant. It, it, it just would last for years and years and years out in the weather. So thinking about that, the wood was made of a thorny tree that is strong and durable. Then it was overlaid with pure gold. This is a shadow or pattern of Jesus Christ's dual nature. The incorruptible acacia wood, his sinless humanity, and the pure gold, his deity. If you don't get anything else out of this lesson tonight, I hope you can get the importance of knowing who Jesus is. Because how can we truly worship him as God if we don't really believe that he's God? The table had a gold molding around the edge measuring a hand's breadth and a gold crown on top. <laughs> the molding speaks of his protection that surrounds his people. The crown of gold represents his deity. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And the hand's breadth even. So what, what, why did it matter how, how wide it was? What, what did it matter that it was called a hand's breadth? Because he holds us in the palm of his hands. And the Bible said, if we ever doubt his love, just look at his hands. He, he has engraved us in the palms of his hands. I'm talking about if this can't cause you to want to worship him, then I don't know something, somebody, I guess I'm going to have to tell you, if this don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Not my teaching of it. I'm just talking about the word of God. How powerful, how powerful. Everything was done as a type and a shadow and a pattern. The golden crown represents his kingship, the king of kings and lord of lords. And yet, isn't this amazing? As he hung on that wooden cross at Calvary, Pilate put a name up there, which was the custom of the Romans, that everybody walking by could see the name of the accuser or of the accused and the crime that they committed. And it said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king. Woo! <laughs> the king of the Jews. But when they mocked him, the Bible said they put a crown of what? <laughs> Acacia wood. It was very plentiful in the Middle East. We got some right out here, as a matter of fact. Certain, this is a locust tree, two of them right out here in this yard. And some of them are real thorny, thorns this long. Some of them have just little stickers on them. But it's not just coincidence that the, probably the very thorns that they used to make the crown was from the acacia tree. 
And the Jews saw that and they went to Pilate and said, hey, would you take that sign down? We don't, we don't like that. Or, or if you're going, would just change it and put up there, he said he was the king. Pilate said, what I've written, I'm written. That wasn't coincidence either because I'm going to tell you, you can try to change him all you want to. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He's still the king of kings. He's still the almighty God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, God. I remember a man one time, I was preaching a revival. I think it was in the state of Tennessee. And afterwards, he approached me and uh, didn't agree with my doctrine, what I was preaching about the oneness and Jesus being the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And that we, when we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that is the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Because these three are one. They're not in one. They're not a triune God. Three persons in one. No, he is the almighty God. These three manifestations or offices of God are one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And when Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it until I can put my finger into that palm, uh, Jesus walks in there one day and he sees him, said, hey, Thomas, come here. Here's the palm. Here's the nail print. Here's the spear wound. Go ahead. And he, he, he didn't have to move another. Oh, he, when he saw it, he went down and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus wasn't. Lord and God, the Lord Almighty God, one Lord God of Israel, he'd have rebuked Thomas right then and there. But he didn't rebuke him. He said, you believe. You believe and because you've seen it, you believe. But blessed are they that though they had not seen the nail prints can still say, I believe that Jesus is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. So he says concerning the showbread, Exodus 25 and 30, and thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. The word showbread, and I've heard a lot of preachers call it shoebread because that's what it looks like, but that's the old English way of spelling show. The word showbread comes from the Hebrew word ponim, which means face or presence. Therefore, the showbread is a type of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. The bread of life. How do we see God? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, many, many people call, uh, have the term instead of showbread, the bread of presence, the bread of presence, because it is the Hebrew word that simply means the face or of God or the face, his face or his presence. So the bread, the table already represents him. Matter of fact, I, this is, this is amazing. I never really thought about this. This table is approximately about the size of that table of showbread looks just about just about maybe a little bit bigger but it's pretty close but those 
12 cakes of bread that were put there had, in, had frankincense put upon them. It was made of fine flour, unleavened because there's no sin in him. Frankincense because Jesus prayed and represented not only prayer but answering of prayer. And the scripture tells us that John 6, if you'd like to read this with me, verse 32 and through verse 35, I think they'll get it up there. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. Now he's getting ready to make some folks mad here. Matter of fact, I'll give you a little assignment if you'd like one tonight. Go home and read this whole sixth chapter of John. We're going to touch on several parts of it. But Jesus began to teach them. Moses brought, gave you bread, but it, it wasn't the, the real bread of heaven. It was only typical. It was only a shadow and a pattern, a type of, of me. He said, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. I want that bread. Then he told them, I am. <laughs> Woo, that's still not a coincidence. When Moses said, who shall I tell them sent me? He said, you tell them, I am hath sent you. For I am that I am. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. While we're on that subject, one scripture said they asked him, if you would just tell us who you are. He said, I'm the same that I said unto you from the beginning. Well, what was in the beginning? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was made manifest. The word is the bread of life. And the Bible said they understood not that he spake unto them when he said, I am he. They understood not that he spake of the, to them of the Father. They, had, they were walking in darkness which is why we need that golden lampstand in there lit up all the time. He said, it has to burn continually. Keep those lamps burning because without it, it's pitch darkness in the sanctuary. I'm glad for the light today of the word of God. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. We, I, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'm wanting to get into the light and I'm still on the bread. But he said, I am the bread of life. Now, when he said that, <laughs> they weren't so sure they wanted that bread now. Before they, they heard him say that is, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. If you read on that chapter, they got so upset with him that many of them turned away and walked off because he didn't just tell them I'm the bread of life. He said, you got to eat my bread and drink my blood. You're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, oh, who in the world is this guy? 
Well, let's see who he is. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word is the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. God manifest in the flesh. Matthew 1 and 23 said that his name will be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That ought to be plain enough for anybody right there. When the man that I started telling a story and old age crept in. The man in Tennessee, when I, when I told him about the oneness from the pulpit, he, he cornered me after church, said, I don't believe that. You folks don't understand at all. We are made in the image of God. He said, we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. He said, how many is that? He's holding those three fingers up. I said, that's three. He said, see there, there's three gods. I said, do you have a body? He said, yes. I said, do you have a soul? He said, yes. I said, do you have a spirit? He said, yes. I said, are you three persons or one? And he started backing out the door. And I turned to Revelation, the first chapter, and I said, I want you to read this out of the word of God. And I showed it to him, and when he saw it, that man, it looked like fear came all over his face. He, didn't, he said, I'm not reading that. And I said, it's the word of God. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. He which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And he said, well, he might have been mighty, but not almighty. I said, what does it say? It says almighty. Well, well, well he, he might have been almighty, but not the Almighty. I said, what does it say? The Almighty. Well, he might have been almighty while he was down here on earth, but and it was his last army, but not up in heaven. I said, where do you think he was? The, John said, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, <laughs> Jesus is the almighty. Jesus is the almighty God. God with us. The knowledge, we read this a moment ago, the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. Now think about this for a minute. It's where? In his where? Face. What does the word ponim in Hebrew mean? Showbread, bread of the face of his presence. Whew, hallelujah. John 14 and 8 through verse 9. Philip said, show us the Father. Jesus said, have I been so long time with you? And hath you not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Now watch this. And how sayest thou then, show. It's spelled the same way, S-H-E-W. Show bread. How sayest thou then, let me see the face, the presence of the Father. Don't you know that when you've seen me, you've seen the showbread. <laughs> you've seen the presence of God. You've seen 
the Father. Going back now, we mentioned this, but going back to the sixth chapter of John where Jesus said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. The Bible said the Jews murmured at him and said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? You can read that in John 6 and 42. And Jesus went on to say in verse 53, except you eat the flesh. Now when he's talking flesh here, he's talking the bread, the word, the truth. How many is glad you ate the truth one day? You got it inside you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Except you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, think of wine or spirit, you have no life in you. It was after this that many forsook him and followed him no more. Not because they didn't believe he was a miracle worker. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen the lame walk, blind see, dumb talk, deaf hear, dead be raised. They walked with him no more because now he was claiming to be God Almighty, the Messiah, God manifested. Don't ever doubt, folks, the Jews never, ever believe in any Trinitarian doctrine or in a multiplicity or a triune God. That's why they reject and hate Christianity so much. But one day the light's gonna come on. Zechariah, I believe it is, the 14th chapter talks about the revelation that's going to come. There will be waters flowing from the city of Jerusalem, from the temple, and it will begin to sweep through the whole world. That's the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. In that day, the Bible said, there shall be one Lord and his name one. There's always been one Lord and his name one. But what it's talking about, somebody's gonna flip the light on and darkness is gonna dissipate and light is gonna come on the scene and people are going to see the light. The Jews are going to see the light. He's not another person. He's not an imitator. He's not an imposter. He is our Messiah, God Almighty, manifest in the flesh. Woo, hallelujah. You talk about revival when the, when the light comes on. It's starting right now. There's a lot of people that are beginning to see the light of this gospel seeing that they've been fed a storyline that is not scriptural, that is not biblical, that there is no three persons in the Godhead, that there is but one God. He is manifested as Father in creation, as Son in redemption, and Holy Ghost in the infilling of His Spirit. And I'm saying today that God is still God. And he said, why sayest thou show us the Father. Have, have I been so long time with you and you don't know it? Why did they forsake him? Because they did not believe that he was the Messiah, the Christ, God manifest in the flesh, Savior of the world. And when Jesus asked the twelve, he, he, <laughs> Pastor, he he got as frustrated as we get sometime when we see him. Does anybody really want this? 
people start walking off when you get down to the nitty gritty of what you got to do to be saved. There's a lot of people don't want to know. So sometimes you just feel like throwing up your hands and looking around and saying, well, how about you 12? Will you leave too? You guys going to walk off too? Will you also go away? And I want you to watch what Peter says here. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure. <laughs> we don't just believe, we are sure that thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son, the flesh of the living God, of the Spirit. We know who you are. We don't just believe it, we're sure of it. So where can we go? Because only you have the words of eternal life. No wonder Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. They said, who are you? He said, the same that I said from the beginning. I am the father. I and the father are one, not two, one. Father, spirit, son's flesh, worship in spirit and in flesh, in truth. The table of showbread is a beautiful representation shadow and pattern of Jesus Christ himself. The beautiful thing about everything in this sanctuary is all about him. If we had time to get into the light uh, from, the, from the golden candlestick, remember this, that it, Jesus is the light of the world. So it all initially points to him. The incense, the, the altar of worship, the altar of praise, the altar of prayer. All is about Jesus. It's all about him. But then it also points to you and me. It also points to you and me. Because the priest, which we, that were a shadow and type of us, went in there and they, once a week, changed that bread. They brought hot bread in every Sabbath. And they took the old loaves and the priest ate that bread. And they took the, we don't talk too much about this either, but also on that table were golden cups that had wine poured into them. And they took the wine and made, and it was a, it was a, a pouring out offering unto the Lord. Signifying that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to pour out his own blood for us and pour out his spirit upon the whole world that would receive him. And Jesus made that so plain when he said, if you don't eat of this flesh and drink of this blood, if you don't eat this bread and drink of this blood. So it also points to you and me, the ministry of the old covenant priests reflect our ministry as new covenant believers. We are his priest. We are to continually have fellowship with him. We are to daily eat the bread of the word of God. It's a daily thing with us, which reveals Jesus to us. And the beautiful thing about it, now we have the written word of God, which reveals to us the living word of God. Jesus wants to live in us. Amen. If the musicians will come, we're closing.
The showbread was replaced regularly. So we must come to the word of God regularly for fresh bread. And I could, if we had the time, <laughs> bring in communion because those priests gathered around that table and they took the bread and they took the wine and it was a holy offering unto God and they ate of it. Even as we today are saints of God, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Eat this bread for it is my body that was broken for you and drink this wine for it is my blood that was shed for you. And he said, if you don't do it, or you do it not discerning the body and discerning what it's all about, he said, because of that, many are sick and many of you dying. And then that actually what Jesus said, except you eat of this bread and drink of this blood, you will die in your sins. Is anybody thankful that you got to walk into the sanctuary and you got the word of God down inside your heart? Is anybody glad that you, somebody offered you a bread of life? Jesus says, here's my word. And folks, don't you know that you can eat the best meal in the world today and tomorrow you're going to have to eat again? You've probably done like me. I, I've eaten so much. I said, man, I won't need another bite for two or three days. Two or three hours later, I'm looking in the refrigerator. God made this physical body to stay alive by continually eating. But man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If we need our natural food daily to stay strong and to stay healthy, how much more do we need the spiritual food of God? How much more do we need this communion with the Master and the Savior, the bread of life? Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Let's sing a little bit of this course tonight as we gather around toward the front.